Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to learn about commercial property investing and be part of our real estate family. We get the best people in the industry to give you straightforward and practical advice that you can actually use in your investing. In today's episode, we are talking about how to deal with major, major problems that you will inevitably go through while investing in real estate. For example, closing on a property on the day that the president announces a national emergency. We are talking to our friend Lo Hornbuckle. He is the CEO and founder of Sage Oak Assisted Living and Memory Care. He is also the co-founder of Goodhorn Capital, a private equity firm focused on recession-resistant assets like boutique-assisted living and build-to-rent developments. Here we go. So today I want to go over, you know, things that every single real estate investor is going through on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, but, you know, people don't talk about. And these are problems that show up that we need to overcome that we're not part of the plan. We all have had hard days and, you know, I was crying the other day for buying a particular asset class. And today I invited my friend Lo. He posted something on Facebook the other day about a significant problem that him and his partners had to overcome over the last several months. And I thought it would be a great idea to share that with everybody. So when you are dealing with something, you can start thinking outside of the box and figure out how to solve the problem. With that, Lo, if you don't mind telling us a little bit about you, please. Yeah, sure. So uh, I live in Dallas and um, myself and, and some others in our group are involved in, you know, really kind of two primary asset classes. We focus on um, uh, sort of boutique assisted living and memory care. Um, we build and develop those. And of course, we also do um, build to rent projects. So we develop townhouses, duplexes that we, um, you know, <clears throat> rent out and then sort of manage like any traditional multifamily. Personally, I have a few hobbies. I play poker and uh, I'm into long range shooting. So there's a little quick synopsis of, uh, of me personally and professionally. Let's dive right into what was your project about and what were the initial goals, your timelines, and then your fundraising target. Sure. So, uh, you know, basically... Um, in regards to the post and kind of some things that you'd mentioned and kind of our behind the scenes conversation, you know, I, I find sometimes that, and I'm sure you probably notice this too, that, you know, sometimes social media can be just, you know, like a highlight reel, like nobody really talks about the stuff they deal with, or they never really do so in kind of an authentic way. And I've always just tried to just be, you know, be myself. And, you know, obviously I thought there was some interesting lessons from this particular project. So the first thing is, is that we, um, we had an opportunity to um, develop a 89 unit um, uh, townhouse project that was going to be a build to rent project. So we were going to, you know, build these, and we're going to we're going to do so in phases. Um, you know, obviously 89 is not divisible, but basically we're going to do 30 units per phase um, in three phases. And, uh, the, 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 the thing that we were kind of first considering is should we self fund this or should we, you know, put this out to, to investors? 
then kind of the next thing that kind of happened is as we were in the process of, of wrapping up the deal, um, we started to notice that we were kind of struggling with people backing out of pledge commitments in a way that has never happened before. So to kind of set the stage in terms of timeline, this was happening in late January to sort of middle part of February. And so this was kind of the time when America was kind of waking up to COVID and what's that going to mean and what's going to happen. To compound matters, this was an opportunity zone deal. So a, a significant portion of our investors were opting to defer capital gains from things like the stock market. And of course, the week that we went to close the close the deal was the famous worst week in the history of the stock market, where it dropped like 20% and in a couple of days. So that was kind of the backdrop. So like the world is chaotic. We don't know what's going to be happening. And we're in the middle of trying to trying to close this transaction. So the total equity raise was just about, was about $3 million. Um, the total project was about 18 million. Um, because we were doing the construction and phasing, we had pretty, really pretty favorable terms from the lender. Um, having had a track record with that lender. And it was also an extension of a, an existing project. So we we had a, a 60 unit project next door. We bought the adjacent lands. So from the bank's perspective, you know, we'd already successfully done a deal with them before. It was really just an extension of our natural natural business. So we really got very favorable terms from a, from a, a great local lender. So that's kind of the backdrop of, of, of the deal and the situation. That sounds like an incredible project. And uh, then COVID hit. So this can be something that it can happen at, at any point in time in different types of versions, right? It can be the economy or anything else. So this one was COVID. How did you guys overcome this problem? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I don't think I'll ever forget this because how many people can 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 claim that they closed a major real estate transaction on the day the president of the United States put the United States in a state of national emergency. So literally the day we were closing on the deal, the president's on TV saying we're entering a state of national emergency. And, and I guess like a lot of people, um, you know, like you're in California, right? Like, you know, you have earthquakes, you have fires, there's all kinds of like city and state you know, emergencies you see, but I've never seen a national emergency before. So I didn't know what that meant or what was going on. But all I know is I closed a very large real estate transaction, you know, by some standards, 18 million, pretty large um, on the day the president's on TV, basically saying, you know, the sky's falling. So that was, that was very fun. Um, you know, I think the thing to understand is, is that first off, because our construction was being done in phasing, um, we went ahead and sort of figured out what our three targets were or, or really what our, what we needed at a minimum to close the deal in terms of investor equity. Then the second question was, what do we need to do phases one and two? And the next question was, what do we need to do all three phases? So we kind of broke the project up into a few different, um, a few different metrics. And so we, when we did this with our attorney, you know, when you, when you're doing a raise, people always focus on the ceiling, you know, how much money are you going to raise? But the question that we asked ourselves was, what's the minimal amount of money that we can raise in order to, to not have the project be delayed? And so we came up with those three numbers and, you know, coming off a successful raise uh, for the assisted living project next door, you know, we kind of thought it was going to be very simple. We just closed another project that was a bigger raise um, about a month earlier. But uh, obviously the world changed a lot in those 30 days, those 45 days. And uh, we started to notice that even though we had the deal fully pledged, that about 30% of the people that 
had pledged, uh, you know, pulled out for various reasons. Um, you know, whether it be, you know, fear of the unknown, whether it be like, Hey, like I was going to put my stock market gains into the deal. I no longer have stock market gains, you know, those types of things. So there's a lot of different reasons, but we were just noticing a tremendous amount of attrition. And I think, I think the element that really kind of probably became interesting to you, and I don't want to speak for you or anybody else that, that sort of resonated with the idea was whenever you're having a project that isn't six, like, isn't being as successful as you wanted to, you know, you get all these pledges and they back out. Um, you have a couple of choices and, you know, one of those choices for some people is, okay, we'll just go out there and sell, right. Go out there and, and just sell the project, you know, call everybody, do this, do that. And there's a lot of people that sort of think that's the correct strategy. And, uh, I don't particularly think that was the correct strategy on this deal. There's certainly a time in my life when I would have done that. And I don't begrudge anybody that does, but the second alternative for us was this is maybe the worst time to be closing a deal imaginable, right? Like it's potentially the worst time imaginable to be closing a deal. ever. So yes, in our lifetimes anyway. So we just said, listen, why don't we just let, how much money have we raised? And then is that enough to hit our floor? And fortunately for us, it was not only was it enough to hit our floor, but we also could do the, the second phase of the construction as well. It's going to be very tight, but we were right there. So we said, look, we need it. We still were about a million dollars short, you know, call it a million dollars. Maybe it was 1.2 or something. I don't know, but let's just call it a million dollars. So our philosophy turned into, you know what, instead of being hunters, instead of going out and trying to figure out a way to sell this thing, why don't we just pull it off the table? If somebody asks about it, we'll, we'll discuss it with them, but we're not going to discuss it as though we're actively raising money. If someone asks us for actively raising money, our answer is, Hey, not really. And we decided to do that because we figured there's going to be better days. There's going to be days coming along where, um, you know, someone be interested in the project. Additionally, um, since we can do the first couple of phases without raising additional money, the timeline meant that we didn't really need the additional money for like a year, like, like maybe two years. And so we, we weren't really necessarily in a hurry. So I think the first thing that I think we were, we were happy that we did was we were smart to set a floor. Sometimes when people are doing their operating agreements, they don't ask those questions. They just assume the raise is going to be successful. And so they don't set a floor. So for example, if you're doing a $3 million raise and you can close the deal with 2.8, well then as long as you get 2.8, you can close the deal. In our case, that number was like, you know, let's just say 2 million or 1.7 or whatever the case was. So that was the first thing that I think we kind of helped ourselves out with. We didn't know this was going to happen, but but thinking through that things can happen and putting that in the operating agreement uh, to the investor certainly was to our benefit. And then the second thing was being patient, um, you know, having the ability to say, you know what, there, there are going to be better days ahead. And, and, you know, look, there arguably have been darker days ahead too. But I think a lot of the fear in the investment community, obviously, the stock market, whether you think it should be worth what it's worth now, has certainly stabilized and hit new all-time highs. And so, um, you know, trying to invest in an opportunity zone deal at the worst possible time for the market was was really just a timing issue. And so, because we thought the project wasn't flawed, we didn't think anything had changed with the project. We thought the project was going to show very good resilience through COVID. Um, we ultimately decided to be patient, kind of pull back on the deal, and then. Of course, what kind of caused this conversation with you and you and I is that, you know, we basically shared the story of how we completed the raise, you know, but over a long period of time. So a raise that normally might take a week for us actually took nine months because we weren't selling it. We weren't pitching it. We were just simply waiting for people to contact us or waiting for people to ask questions like, hey, what do you have? I'm looking for an opportunity zone deal. And, and that enabled us to be patient and to basically help people that had a need as opposed to. Um, focus on ourselves, focus on what we need, then of course it becomes a lot harder.
Um, and the other element for us was um, everybody that's ever raised capital over a long period of time will tell you that deals get stale. So mm-hmm. sometimes a deal feeling like it's stale is just as bad as it being a bad deal because people start to ask themselves like, why have you been raising money for this so long? What's wrong with the deal? And so they just start asking these questions. It's only natural, right? Um, you know, we kind of joke all the time, you know, I know, I think we're both, you know, middle-aged and, and single. So like what, you know, people are like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you married? You know, I was like, well, Hey, hold on, give me some time. So we gave our deal a little room to breathe, right. And a little opportunity to kind of find its legs. And that, that was really important uh, as opposed to, you know, constantly once a week, once a month, putting the deal out there, putting the deal out there, putting the deal out there. Cause sooner or later people are going to ask like, Hey, why do you think you can't complete the raise? What's wrong with the transaction? And you know, what that would have done is that would have caused the focus to be on the deal itself, on the transaction, as opposed to the circumstances of the timing, which we really identified as the, as the key problem. And so we, we gave the deal opportunity to breathe and gave the deal opportunity to, to basically, you know, and not only that, but get further along, right? Because if you're investing in a deal and we've already, you know, started putting in roads, then, or we've already started doing certain elements of construction, then you are investing at a sort of a de-risked point in the deal because things have happened and you're getting treated uh, from an investment point of view as exactly the same as if nothing has happened, which is to the investor's advantage. And now in hindsight, all of this makes sense, but during, you know, end of February, early March, was the answer obvious to you guys? Were you freaked out? Did you cry a little? <laughs> what were the emotions during that time? Um, so I do think that, well, certainly we, you know, nobody likes to feel like they're failing. And we certainly, you know, wrestled with that. And, um, you know, we, having just completed a raise that was bigger uh, on the adjacent parcel, we definitely cause ourselves to second guess ourselves. The thing about raising money that I always tell people is sometimes the project's perfect, the situation's perfect, and you've just reached the limit of your network, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, you know, I could find a perfect deal tomorrow and if I needed to raise a hundred million dollars, I might not be capable of that. Right. I may not have the network to do that. Um, or the, you know, the time, you know, or the timing could be off. And so what we really had to do was just think like, do we really think that we were incapable of raising this amount of money or was it really just the timing? So there is a lot of self-reflection involved in this because unless you identify the real reason why you failed or why you didn't complete your goal in this case or completed on the proper deadline, if you don't know the real reason, then you can't really solve the problem. Right. So we didn't know for sure if the market was telling us, Hey, we're not interested in the project or, Hey, we're not interested in the project right now today because of what's going on in the world. You know, we're not interested in you. Uh, you know, everything's great, but you don't know enough people with enough money to invest. So these are all the questions we had to go through. I wouldn't say that we cried. We definitely probably consumed more glasses of alcohol as a result <laughs> of, of this experience. And, you know, you know, when you have the, the dual threat of, a you know, the public health crisis and the pandemic, and then also you feel like your business is struggling too, um, or especially compared to your own expectations, it definitely can, can wear on uh, you for sure. So, um, mm-hmm. but you know, we, we thought this was a great lesson and a great story to tell because it isn't perfect. Right. And it isn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't do it exactly. You know, a lot of times we hear all these stories like, Oh yeah, I put a deal out and I raised the money in 20 minutes. And you're like, Oh, cool story. But you don't really learn a lot. Yeah. From that. Yeah. Um, for us, this was really all about being patient 
you know, making the investors first. And look, everyone says that. Everyone says all the investors are first, but I mean, if the investors are first, then sometimes that means you don't slam somebody into a deal that's not appropriate. And, you know, some investors, their risk calculus was, hey, we're not sure what's going to happen with the virus. We're not sure what's going to happen with these things. And we want to get more clarification on these things before we invest. And, you know, if we're trying to strong arm somebody into a deal, then we're not really putting them first. And so for us, the, the patient strategy, you know, was ultimately the correct strategy. I mean, I think we knew that at the time. Um, I think we always mm-hmm. knew we were going to complete the raise. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I was surprised or shocked on the timeline. Um, also, too, I don't think as, mu- as, as much as we were researched and knowledgeable about COVID, uh, you know, kind of an early stage, I don't think that any of us thought the United States' response to and the success and failure of the United States in terms of COVID would be as bad as it has been. Um, in terms of just where we stand in, in the world and, and on that matter. So, you know, look, we were surprised too. So yeah, um, not a lot of tears, um, man tears, you know, crying into our whiskey probably would be our, our version of that. And then, um, you know, just really taking a step back and trying to diagnose what was the real reason why the raise wasn't as successful as we wanted. And, and when we determined it was ultimately probably more, more due to timing and, and fear of the unknown than, than the project itself. Yeah. That's a great reflection to have during those times. Sure. Um, how is the project doing right now? It's going well. Um, you know, it's a little behind, but uh, not, not, <clears throat> uh, not especially so. Um, you know, obviously the, the, the couple things we ran into is, you know, with COVID, there were some municipalities that closed, right? So like, for example, we, you know, there's a city meeting that has to happen to approve your project and those got canceled. Some of those, some state and local constitutions enshrine the idea the public is a chance to speak. And so if meetings are canceled, so we had some delays from that. There's obviously been some supply chain disruptions, right? So things that you order and you get them in six weeks, now it's taking 30 weeks and, you know, price changes and things like lumber, that kind of stuff. So, you know, we definitely battled through a lot of stuff, but ultimately the project is, is very close to being on track. Um, if not, if we're not going to make up for lost time and get it back on, back on schedule. Um, and then we just have a, 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 an abundance of lessons along the way and things to think about. And, you know, the average investor didn't really think about supply chains much a couple of years ago. Now all of a sudden everyone's like, you know, so sensitive to those ideas and those concepts and just, you know, how to, how to, how to develop in a pandemic has been a a crash course, um, and learning on that front. (laughs) Pretty awesome. Um, I know you already talked about, you know, how you guys reflected on if it was just you guys or the actual situation, but are there any other tips that you can give our listeners on how to deal with unplanned situations like this one? Um, absolutely. I mean, I think the first thing is, um, you know, if you were to think about, um, all the things it takes to write a business plan, I think the first thing you have to be is you have to be realistic. Um, and so when you're, when you're realistic and you're writing a business plan, one of the questions you could, you should ask yourself is, you know, how could this go wrong? You know, what are the problems this deal could have? And then try to be creative and then kind of pre-plan. Um, you know, so much about, so much about people that write business plans, it's all optimism, you know? So for example, if we would have just assumed, oh, we're going to raise this money, no problem. We hadn't set the floor. Um, then we, then we potentially 
could have had to rewrite the operating agreement that could have caused other investors to be spooked. And so instead we just said, Hey, this is the minimum amount we're going to raise. This is the maximum amount we're going to raise. Um, so that's kind of an example of that. So just always go through your business plan and just think through things that, that could happen. Maybe you won't raise all the money. Maybe you'll have some price increases. So you're going to, you need to have a healthy contingency, you know, things like that. So a lot of what, what made us successful on this project or, or come to successful conclusion really dealt with, um, you know, going in, being realistic, and then also asking where can we have problems? And if, if, if we do have these problems, what's our plan in case we face those? Um, because having that in your back pocket, when something does happen and you've already kind of planned for it, it helps a lot in the moment because you don't feel like you're being blindsided by something you couldn't, couldn't see coming. Got it. Wow. Low. This has been such a wealth of information. I really appreciate you being so honest and straightforward and sharing all of these lessons. I'm sure there are so many more <laughs> that you guys went through just for this project alone. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, certainly. Um, the best place to go really is is our website. Um, so our capital raising company is Goodhorn Capital. So goodhorncapital.com. Um, they can, you know, schedule a time to have a conversation with us if they want to learn more. You know, while this project wasn't about, um, uh, wasn't, uh, was about build to rent, you know, I've also written a book about residential assisted living, which is kind of our secondary access, uh, uh, asset class that we focus on. They can download a copy of the book and, and, and we'll, uh, give them a free version of it so they can uh, learn a little bit about how we think about operations. So again, just goodhorncapital.com. And if they want to shoot me an email, it's just low at goodhorncapital.com. So happy to happy to help any way that I can. And as always, all of these links will be under show notes. Lo, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate your time. Great. Thanks for having me, Steph. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our very straightforward newsletter at montecarlorei.com on top of the page. And I would love to thank one of our latest reviewers, Ivan Nemorin. Thank you. Podcast episodes are concise with step-by-step -step examples. Truly great content. Thank you much. You are most welcome, Ivan. Thank you for your review. And I will see you guys next time.